Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Six friends. A magician, a doctor, a blacksmith, a woodcarver, a painter, and the son of a prince are very close friends. They look out for each other and really care for one another, each using their unique talents to help each other in their daily lives. And these young men, well, they seek adventure. They seek fame, fortune, or basically anything to get their adrenaline pumping. So all together, they seek adventure, and one of them finds an adventure like no other that changes their fate for all of them, and unites them in one main cause. Listeners, this episode is Tale 3 from the Wondrous Tales of Tibet Folk Stories book, and it's a pleasure to narrate them just for you. Just want to let you all know that I'm utilizing all brand new audio and sound for this episode, provided completely by my Patreon supporters. If you want a story written just for you, every episode, become my white tea warlord, and if you want to be immortalized forever in my thank yous after each episode, support me with as much as a cup of tea a month as my El Grey Enforcer. And I'll tell you how at the end of this episode. But I don't want to keep you waiting. Now, let's get on with the story. Enjoy. In a far country many years ago, there lived six young men who were fast friends. One was a magician's son. One, a blacksmith's son. The third, a doctor's son. The fourth, the son of a woodcarver. The fifth, the son of a painter. And the sixth, the son of a prince. Now, all these six lads intended to follow the lives and the works of their fathers. But before settling down, they all desired to seek some great adventure. Let, Let us, us go, go forth, forth together, together, said they, and, and travel, travel into, into some, some strange country, country and, and then perhaps something wonderful may befall us, which will make us rich at the end of our days, or at least give us a goodly tale to tell our neighbours when we shall have returned and taken up our father's work. So it was agreed among them. And on one certain day, very early in the morning, all six started out together. For several days they travelled, choosing always the least known road and going farther and farther from the country they knew into the unfamiliar lands beyond. Yet no adventure, whatever, befell them. At last they came to a small, round pond into which six streams emptied, each coming from a different direction. Then, said the blacksmith's son, Friends, here are six rivers, one for each of us. Suppose we separate, each choosing one stream and following it alone to its source. It may be that Dame Adventure is shy and will not meet us all together, whereas to each of us apart, she will bring some rare happening. This saying pleased the other five, and they agreed at once. Moreover, said the magician's son, let us each plant a small tree at the mouth of his chosen river, and I will weave a spell upon them all, so that if aught evil befalls its planter, that tree will wither away. Splendid, said the doctor's son, and let us agree to return to this spot at the end of our year and a day. And when we are met, if any of us is absent and his tree with it, we will straight away follow his stream and try to rescue him 
from his danger. The other friends were greatly pleased at these suggestions, and each of the six set about at once, choosing a tree and planting it at the mouth of one of the streams. When the trees were all planted, the young men took their stand beside their respective streams, while the magician's son went around from one tree to another, weaving a magic spell about it, so that it would wither and die if any ill came to the one who had planted it. Then, with many handshakes and words of faithfulness and affection, the six friends parted, each one disappearing up the bank of the river he had selected. Now we shall follow the fortunes of the prince's son. The underbrush along the bank of his stream was thick and heavy, so that he must needs walk slowly and with difficulty. All day long he wandered on, finding no open space, and hearing nothing but the sound of the water babbling beside him. At length, however, the banks of the little river began to widen out, and towards sunset he found himself in an open meadow, with an old broken well in the middle of it and a dark forest beyond. He was tired and warm with a long, hard walk through the underbrush, so when he had reached the well, he sat down beside it to rest and cool himself. He had not been there long before he saw approaching him a tall and exceedingly beautiful girl with a water pitcher on her shoulder. Her hair was very long and black. She was clothed in flowing white linen garments, and she moved across the field barefooted with a light, lithe step. And marvelous to behold, wherever her foot pressed the soft earth, a white flower sprang into blossom. Marking her course across the meadow in a trail of beauty, while the prince's son was wondering at this and at the unusual loveliness of the girl, she drew up to the well and lowered her pitcher from her shoulder. He jumped up at once and, taking it from her hand, offered to draw the water for her. She said not a word, but when the pitcher was full, she set forth again across the meadow, leaving him to follow her and carry it. Over the field and into the woods they went, in the deepening twilight. The maiden moved with a sure step, quickly and easily among the trees, but the prince's son had great trouble in following her, often stumbling in the darkness and finding the pitch of water ever heavier and harder to carry. At last it grew so dark in the woods that he could see nothing at all except the gleam of the girl's white dress before him. And the water pitcher became so heavy that his shoulder well nigh broke with the weight of it. But he struggled on, determined not to lose sight of his strange and beautiful guide. Quite unexpectedly, they came at length to a little log hut with a candle shining in the window. As they approached it, the door was opened by an old man, white hair, shriveled and bent, with an old wrinkled woman beside him. Come in, daughter said the aged man, motioning to the girl. Have you brought the prince's son? That I have, father, she replied, and her voice was as lovely as her beautiful face. The prince's son entered the little hut, wondering greatly, and the door was closed behind him. Without a word of explanation, the aged couple made haste to set before him a simple, hearty supper, 
the girl having disappeared meanwhile into an inner room. When the prince had finished, as if in answer to his unspoken thought, the old man said, You are doubtless wondering, my son, about the lovely damsel that abides here with us, and whom you have followed this day to our humble door. But in truth, sir, it is little enough we can tell you ourselves. Whence she comes, we know not, though we have cherished and reared her as our own child. Several years ago we found her on our doorstep. A little laughing maiden was there, as ever the sun looked on, and clothed in the softest, richest raiment. Right joyfully we took in her, and she dwelt with us happily day by day. Yet never did she say a word by which we might know whose child she was. Her king's daughter she must be, or the child of some good spirit. Of late she has spoken much of a change to come in her life, of a prince's son, and of many other things which we have not understood. But our hearts have been sad within us, fearing lest the girl prophesied her marriage and separation from us who love her more than all else in the world. At this point, the prince's son eagerly interrupted the old man, saying, I pray for you, father, but be no longer sad, but hear the great desire of my heart. I am indeed the son of a prince, and the maiden is in my eyes the loveliest and most beautiful creature in the universe. Having once seen her, I have no further wish in life than to marry her and live peacefully with her in the forest, in a house that I shall build for her with my own hands, near by this hut. Surely the fates have decreed that this shall be, for have I not travelled far this day in search of whatsoever the Dame of Fortune might have for me? So be it. Needs must you be the destined bridegroom, the son of a prince, for had it been otherwise our daughter never would have led you through the dark forest. To our lonely home. Let the blessing of an old man rest upon you. And so it came about the prince's son married the beautiful maiden of the woods, and lived with her in peace and happiness, in a little log house, hard by her foster father's hut. Days passed by and weeks, and ever the two grew more loving and contented, and it seemed as if nothing could mar the even joy of their lives. But alas, one day a great misfortune befell them. It was warm and sultry, and the two had strolled hand in hand down to the bank of a rushing stream that ran through the forest. Now the water looked so very cool and refreshing that the maiden must needs sit on the mossy bank and dabble her feet and her hands in it. While she was doing so, a ring slipped from her finger, and before she could rescue it, was borne down the current and out of sight. The poor girl cried out in dismay, then fell to weeping so bitterly that her husband was astonished. <laughs> Nay now, truly a paltry ring is not worth so many tears. My dearest, when I go again to my father's kingdom, I will buy you a dozen rings, more beautiful than that which you have lost. So dry your eyes and think no more about it. But the girl refused to be comforted. That ring is a magic one, 
and its loss will bring all matters of woe unto us. Nor was she mistaken in this. The ring was borne along by the swift stream for a long distance and was finally washed ashore near the pleasure gardens of the great car. There, someone found it and, seeing that it was a strange ring, curiously wrought, took it at once to the Khan himself. The monarch looked upon it, and then, calling his ministers about him, he said, This trinket has magic power about it. I believe that it belongs to a very beautiful woman, perhaps the daughter of some king. Take it, therefore, and wherever so it leads you, follow. And if its owner indeed proves to be a lovely damsel, take her prisoner and bring her at once to me, that she may be head over my household. The chief minister bowed low, took the ring, and called a goodly number of soldiers and servants to accompany him on his quest. As soon as he held the magic ring in his hand, he felt a strange power drawing him. And as he yielded to that power, it led him out of the pleasure gardens to the bank of the stream, and then up along the bank straight toward the log hut in the woods. And so, in a very short time, the Khan's minister and all his soldiers and servants were standing before the door of the little house where the prince's son and his wife had been living so happily together, and were calling them to come out at once. They dared not disobey. And so the unhappy husband led forth a beautiful damsel, weeping as if her heart would break, and delivered her to the Khan's minister. She was taken away at once, and the poor prince's son was left alone to grieve in his lonely little cabin. The old foster father and mother were so stricken with sorrow that it seemed they would die. Yet neither did they, nor the prince's son dare to do anything against the commands of the great Khan. Meanwhile, the girl was led by the chief minister to the monarch's palace. He was delighted with her beauty and charm, and paid not the slightest heed to her tears or prayers to be allowed to return to her husband. She was made chief of the royal servants, must needs live in the place within constant call of the Khan, and there seemed to be no possible hope of escape. Days passed by, and her sorrow and longing for her husband became ever greater instead of less, until she began to grow pale and thin, and those about her feared she would sicken and die. The Khan, too, noticed the change in her and tried every means in his power to cheer her, but all in vain. At last, he grew angry. This husband of hers is making the fairest of my servants sickly and plain. But if it is indeed longing for him that is eating the bloom off her cheeks, I will quickly remedy the matter. And calling the court executioner, he whispered a few words in his ears. There now, when you know that your husband is dead and there is no use in wishing for him any longer, then perhaps... You will forget him and learn to smile again. In vain did the poor girl plead with the monarch for her husband's life. The more she wept and besought him, the more angry and determined he became. So the executioner set out with a number of soldiers and, 
finding the log hut in the woods, dragged forth the prince's son with little gentleness and took him afar, off to a meadow in which was a dry, deserted well. Down in this the poor lad was thrust, and a great rock was rolled over it. There, in the darkness, he laid him down to die, with no hope of rescue and no desire for life anyway. If he could not live it with his dear and beautiful wife, Now it happened that the very next day was that on which the six friends had agreed to meet by the little round pond with the six streams running into it, and true to their promise, the other five gathered together and there awaited the coming of the prince's son. The day passed slowly by, and he did not appear, and then they noticed that the tree which he had planted was drooping and withering. Our friend is in danger or trouble said the doctor's son. Let us lose no time in searching for him. Even now, we may be too late to save him. The others were alarmed at the ill omen and were eager to start at once. But the magician's son detained them. One moment, said he. By my magic art, I can learn exactly where our friend is, and then we can go straight to him. Bidding the others sit down and wait, he drew a circle on the ground and, placing himself in the center of it, began to recite all manner of incantations and to draw figures and signs in the air. After a while, he arranged the circle and announced to his friends that he knew the exact whereabouts of the prince's son at that moment. But we must hurry, he said, for he is in great danger and will surely die unless we rescue him. So the five set out at a smart pace and traveled all that night without pause or rest. By early morning, they had reached the well wherein the prince's son was imprisoned. How shall we move away the rock? said they in despair, seeing the huge boulder completely covering the mouth of the well. I will move it, said the blacksmith's son, and taking the heavy iron hammer, which he always carried in his belt, he fell to work upon the rock knocking great chunks out of it until it was all broken to pieces. When the mouth of the well had thus been opened, they hastily lowered the doctor's son, who found the son of the prince lying there quite white and still and nigh unto death. It is well they chose me to fetch him up, said the doctor. He muttered as he drew forth his bag of medicines. Taking a small flask of red fluid, he poured the content of it down the throat of his unconscious friend, who soon began to stir and then to sit up. With great difficulty, the two were hauled up to the mouth of the well, and when they were once safely out of it, the friends all embraced heartfelt joy and affection. Then the prince's son told the tale of his adventure and its sorry ending, and the other five were full of compassion for him and indignation against the wicked Khan. I have a plan, suddenly spoke up the woodcarver's son. By my art, I can fashion a great wooden bird, large enough to carry a man, and I will fit it with wings, hinges and springs, so that it will fly through the air. And I, cried the painter's son, catching the idea at once, will paint and adorn it with marvelously beautiful colors, so that it will look like a bird of paradise. 
They were all much excited by this time, and prayed the woodcarver's son to tell them more. Why then, said he, the prince's son shall fly in my wonder bird to the palace of the car. And when that wicked ruler sees the beauty and the color of it, interrupted the painter's son, he will go up to the roof to receive it with all his royal household, and then you can snatch up your wife and bear her away. They all shouted at once to the prince's son, who was fairly trembling with joy and hope. The woodcarver's son fell to work at once, and in no time at all had built a marvellous wooden bird, big and strong and powerful, with great broad wings that would carry it through the air at the touch of a spring. Then the painter's son got out his paints, and adorned it with colours rich and fair, so that it shone with beauty like a true bird of paradise. The prince's son got into it as soon as it was ready, and, amid the shouts of his friends, pressed a spring and flew high up into the air. Then off he steered straight for the Khan's royal dwelling. Great was the excitement at the palace when the big coloured bird was seen flying overhead. Everybody rushed about, asking what it might mean, and the Khan was the most excited of them all. It's a bird of paradise! For see you not the gold upon its wings? It is doubtless bearing a message to me from the gods. In truth, we must meet him fittingly. So he called together all his royal servants, choosing the wife of the prince's son because he was the fairest of all. He bade her go quickly to the roof and welcome the strange messenger as he alighted. The damsel hastened to obey and stood waiting and marveling as the great wooden monster drew near. Imagine her joy when it came whirring to a standstill, disclosing her own dear husband, seated within it. In a flash, he had caught her up, and before the astonished Khan and his court could realize what was happening, the bird of paradise had left the palace roof far behind and was only a vanishing speck in the distance. And did they escape out of the country? And were the five faithful friends rewarded? Asked the prince eagerly, as the Siddhikur ceased speaking. Indeed, yes. <laughs> the prince's son and his lovely wife, an old foster father and mother, and the five companions all left the country and went to live in a fair land, where they were all happy and prosperous to the end of their days. But see now, Prince, you have neglected again the command of Nagaguna, the wise master. You have opened your lips and broken silence on the homeward way, and so I am free again, as free as the wind in my mango tree, beside the garden of ghost children. And with a shout, the Siddhikur leaped from his bag and ran off, leaving the Khan's son looking disconsolately after him. Screw you, Prince! The name of this tale, which I shall tell you now, said the Siddhikur, is The Secrets of the Khan's Barber. He was again upon the Prince's back, being borne along toward the dwelling of the great master, Nagaguna. The prince nodded his head in sign of agreement, but he determined this time that no word 
should pass his lips. No matter how interested he might become in the story, so settling down comfortably in his sack, the Siddhartha began once more. Thank you, lovelies, for listening, and I hope you enjoyed my little bit of silliness at the end there. I've moved more into composing in this episode, layering audio after audio and music theory to bring the most out of this tale. These are usually shorter tales, but more quality focused, and I hope you loved it. Legends, I want to thank my Patreon supporter, Ode Knight T Titan, Hall of Famer Maya, for their infinite contribution to this podcast. Thank you immensely for your support over the years. You are an absolute godsend. Thank you so much. And my white tea warlord, Lesasaurus Rex. The title of your story is Whisper Rins. Many years ago, a child nearly drowned by the river, the river of tears. Many children go missing, and in this land the ghosts of children haunt the rivers, akin to insects hovering around a stagnant pond. The whispers of Rin, however, is a calming spirit, a spirit itself with a terrible past. Wrought with anguish, the Rin of the river was a spirit of a boy who fell into the current whilst reaching for his shoes, only to be washed away, and forever be part of the river itself. The whisperings of the child Rin can be heard in the current, and serve to warn children in times of danger and impending doom. But even to adults and families, it is said, if you hear your name in the winds, it is there to guide you and pull you from danger. And in fact, simply hearing it is enough to ward off terrible and awful events that happen in your life. Listen for the whisperings of Rin. And my next white tea warlord, Paige Kramer, leaves from the sun. In the depths of the forest of Gurin grows a tree like no other, a beacon for lost travelers and the lifeblood of flora that grow underground. The tree itself is called Lightbringer, and the locals call it Sunbark. On the surface, it appears withered and malnourished, dying or decaying, but just beneath its bark lies a current of fire, sap that alights the world around it, blinding those foolish enough to reap it in large chunks. But what it is really sought for is not its sap, but its leaves. Upon closing one's hands over the leaf to crush it, the sap within its veins erupt creating globes of light that light up the surroundings as if it was cast with a lantern. The leaves from the sun is what they are called, and rightfully so, as they light up the way for a wary traveller. And now, for my brilliant Elgrain forces, I am lucky to have Just Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffelli, Michelangelo Yacone, divided by zero, Leah Fassig, Alia Arcane, and Solstra, and my remaining supporters, Catherine Mason and Sunshine Days. Thank you all for listening, you loveliest of people. And if you want to support the show just like these legends, you can visit my Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash SFGT, where you can support me directly. Now, write your story, share your tale, make it creepy or something silly about a snail, but remember that little tremor that crawls up your spine, or the tingle that makes you smile from a perfect plotline. That's the magic of storytelling, like tea 
it's divine. You took the time to listen to me, and you think that it was your treat. But I thank you, my friends, for the listen. And as always, till next we meet.